It's awesome to see so many people here, and I'm told we have way more than usual online, so welcome to those of you that are tuning in online. Uh, this is one more day that I am thankful that men are not expected to wear mascara because I started leaking from the face in that last song. Our worship team did a phenomenal job leading us in worship this morning and, and uh, it was a joy to hear so many people singing behind me as well. And uh, as Pastor Zach said, Merry Day After Christmas. This is uh, an interesting time. You know that week between Christmas and New Year's is just sort of unique, isn't it? People are visiting, or maybe you're visiting people. I see some unfamiliar faces here today. Kids are out of school. You might be off work. You're often not quite sure what day it is. You have to look at your phone or your watch. Oh, yeah, it's Tuesday. That's right. I should probably eat a salad. I've been eating leftovers and sweets, at least a vegetable. Find a vegetable at some point in the next week, right? And it can be kind of a much-needed break from the norm, where there's time to rest or even recover, if that's how it feels. But it can also be a very undisciplined time, if we're not careful. And we can sort of miss an opportunity to pause and to reflect over the year that we've just come through. And so that's why everybody here gets a gold star for for setting an alarm, for getting up, for putting real pants on and coming to church, right? Good for you. Because if we're not careful, this, this little period right at the end of the week or right at the end of the year can, can be a time where some bad habits get started, where we're undisciplined. We stop reading the word or we stop journaling or we stop doing the things some of our Sunday school classes and discipleship groups are on break and, and it can just be a time where maybe some good habits get broken or some bad habits get started and that's what we end up carrying into the new year. So today I want to uh, encourage you in this message that as 2021 comes to a close, take some time to pause and to reflect Because there can be tremendous value in just one hour of reflection. Just one hour of looking back over the past year and reflecting upon what you've learned, what's taken place, what God might be saying to you. And so our scripture today is going to guide us in this and, and kind of underscore the importance of this. It comes from the book of Proverbs, which is emerging as one of my very favorite books. Uh, and it's hard to say that with scripture. It's kind of like, okay, which one is your favorite kids? You know, and they're always trying to nail me down on that. But like at certain seasons, there are certain books of the Bible that just speak to me with disproportionate influence. Maybe you've experienced that. And Proverbs has been one of those books that is often just so profound in in how it speaks to me. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 14. If you're in the sanctuary, there are Bibles in the seats, underneath the seats. And so if you need to move to, to grab one of those, you're welcome to do so. We'll also have this on the screen behind me. And I'm going to read a passage Uh, from Proverbs chapter 14, verses 8 through 15. So I'm going to read this all the way through, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll move back through it in kind of an interesting format. So um, here's what uh, this passage tells us. It says, The wisdom of the prudent 
is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one, can, no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end therein is death. Even in laughter the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. You might be saying, well, that's not so much a passage, Pastor Mark. That's eight separate verses, even in most Bibles that will have a space in between them. And, and so it's important to kind of understand how Proverbs is structured. And there's a lot of variety in the structure of Proverbs. It's primarily a collection of wisdom and wise sayings. And wisdom, one of my favorite definitions of wisdom, is its competency in navigating the realities of life. That's what wisdom is. It helps us to navigate the realities of life with competency. Now, the majority of the Proverbs are attributed to King Solomon, who was David's son. So, you know David, David and Bathsheba. Solomon was a product of that relationship, of that marriage. And he got known, or he became known at at the time as the wisest man who had ever lived. And sometimes people still refer to Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. And I'm always quick to say, oh, but until Jesus, I think Jesus was wiser than Solomon. So now Solomon's kind of in second place. He's still on the podium. And he had a lot of wise things to say. He had a lot to contribute. And the reason for that is that Solomon sought wisdom. It didn't come to him by accident. He sought it out. He made it the most important thing. There's a really wonderful story of how this all came to take place in 1 Kings chapter 3 where you can read about Solomon going to sleep and having a vision where God visits him and says, Solomon, on behalf of your father David, I'll give you anything you ask for. And right off the bat, he says, give me wisdom to rule and to govern these people wisely. And God is so impressed that he didn't ask for, for money or for fame or for power or for any of those fleshly desires. He says, I'll give you what you've asked for and I'm going to give you everything else as well. And so Solomon becomes the wisest man who ever lived of his time. And many of these Proverbs and most of what you find in Proverbs is describing or contrasting between the way of wisdom and the way of a fool. That's the primary contrast in the book of Proverbs. And it's really describing the Lord's way. It's showing us what is the perfect way, what is the best way, what are the best practices. And sometimes this causes some confusion because we have to remember that we still live in a fallen world. So this is like if we were still in the Garden of Eden pre-fall, all of this stuff is absolutely true. There are if-then statements in that setting. But in a fallen world, they become best practices. And that's why we all know when we've all read Proverbs and we've said, well, I know an exception to that proverb. And it probably has to do with the reality of living in a fallen world. Where we say, yes, that's, that's true. That describes the Lord's way, but people don't always follow the Lord's way. And even if we follow the Lord's way, Someone around us or the circumstances of life in a fallen world may cause this 
thing that we've just read to not be true. And we say, well, I don't know if it can be trusted. It absolutely can be trusted. But we have to remember the context. It's imparting wisdom for the majority of situations where the moral rules don't apply to life. Right? Like, should I take that job? Should I marry that person? You can read your whole Bible and it will not tell you definitively unless it's a sinful, law-breaking job. (laughs) It will not tell you definitively if you should take that job or not. It will not tell you definitively if you should go here or do that or should sell your house now or should not. And so Proverbs gives us wisdom. And the more time you spend in Proverbs and the more you live according to his ways, the more wisdom you accumulate. And wisdom has a lot to do with your way of being in the world. Wisdom is not an event. You do not suddenly say, okay, I'd like to be wise and read through Proverbs once. Okay, I'm wise now. Everything will be perfect. It just just doesn't work that way. But if you read through Proverbs on a regular basis, if you read through God's wisdom as it's contained in Scripture and you apply it to your life and you seek each time through, you gain new wisdom. Each time through, you gain a broader horizon, a broader perspective on God's way And God's set of best practices for our lives. And oftentimes people will ask me, it's like, what's the deal with Proverbs? It's just like firing cannons off in different directions. It feels so haphazardly arranged. And I'll tell them sometimes, well, life is kind of that way, isn't it? Life doesn't move through in a linear progression. Sometimes you need wisdom for relationships in the morning and wisdom for finances at midday and wisdom for morality by the evening. We need wisdom, and wisdom comes to us because life comes to us somewhat haphazardly. However, there is often an intentionality to the structure that is not apparent to the naked eye that is not apparent the first time you read through it. And so as I read through those verses, you might have said, well, there's a few common threads or common themes, but I don't see how it's structured. And that was my experience as well. But this passage is actually structured very intentionally. And the, the word that we apply to this structure is a chiasmus. Raise your hand if you have used chiasmus in the last seven days. Anybody? Don't tune out, okay? I'm going to explain it. You'll understand it. I had to look it up. Don't feel bad if you're like, Caius, what? I've never even heard that word. And apparently there's other words like it, like chiastic. That's what a chiasmus is in structure. It's a chiastic. And so what happens in a chiasmus is, is in this passage, verses 8 through 11 are essentially repeated in reverse order in verses 12 through 15. So you kind of make your way down through 8 through 11 and then back out in 12 through 15. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's all going to make sense. And you're going to see that what a chiasmus is designed to do is to carefully and powerfully drive home the central point of the middle verse or verses in the chiasmus. So I'm going to put this up on screen. And uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can take a picture of this. If you're watching online, you can screenshot this and you can then be really, really smart. Like at lunch or, or when you have somebody over this week and you say, oh yeah, we, you know, pastor talked about a chiasmus. What? And you can explain it to him and you can draw it out. Because here's what's going on in this passage. You see the A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A structure. The A's match up, the B's match up, the C's match up, and the D's match up in content and in theme. So it starts with a contrast between the prudent and the fools and giving thought to their ways in verses 8, but also 14. And then B there, verse 9, 
talks about making amends for sin. But verse 14, on the flip side, talks about being repaid for sin. And then the C structure is speaking about secrets of the heart in verse 10 and 13. And the core, the center of this passage is the two D's there. The, the D's speaking to the destruction of the wicked and the way of death. And so there's a progression into that point and there's a progression back out of that point. And so that kind of explains a chiasmus. You, maybe you could scratch this out on a napkin and look really smart. That's not our purpose here today is to be able to scratch this out on a napkin and look really smart. Our purpose here today is to get the point. Because a lot of care and attention went into these eight verses making a point. And so the central point is in verses 11 and 12. This is why this passage matters so much. This is why this subject matters so much. These two verses are the heart of the broader passage. And they speak about the apparent success of the wicked. That it is short-lived. And that there is a way that seems right but it leads to death. So we should pay attention. We should make sure that we're not on the way that leads to death. We should make sure that we're not just seeking apparent short-term success, but that we are living our lives God's way so that we can find long-term success and happiness and joy and life. That's the central passage. And so in verse 11, it looks almost like there's more prosperity and it's more permanent For the wicked. Look at that. Notice the contrast between the house of the wicked. A house is a permanent structure. And the tent of the upright. A tent is a temporary structure. So it looks like, man, the wicked have it way better off. They're in a house. These upright people are out wandering around in tents. We want a house. We don't want tents. What's going on here? There's a contrast that's being made. And yet, that contrast extends to the destruction of the wicked on one side and The flourishing of the upright, on the other hand. That even though it looks like the wicked have it all perfectly figured out in this world, in this setting, in this life, there is destruction awaiting them. And even though it seems like the upright have made big sacrifices and they're just wandering around in tents, they will flourish. They will flourish for eternity. And I believe eternity is in view in verse 12, where the the easy road seems right at first, but we're told it leads to death. And to contrast that, there is a way that leads to life and life eternal. And so verse 12 tells us that the easy road seems right at first. And it's actually this proverb is repeated verbatim in chapter 16, verse 25. And a very similar concept is presented in chapter 12, verse 15. So it's, it's an idea that was really important to be transmitted as part of wisdom, as part of following God's way. And so with that at the center, with the contrast between this way that seems right here and now, which we might call humanism or secularism or even hedonism, kind of the, all the isms, all the bad isms, right? Where you say, this life is all there is. This, get the most that you can right now. Get yours and keep it and protect it and make sure that you have what you need. That is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. But there is a way that leads to eternal life. There is a way that 
maybe doesn't seem like it makes sense up front, a way of sacrifice, a way of selflessness, a way of pursuing righteousness that actually leads to eternal life. And so with that at the center, let's work our way out in these pairs. We've just looked at 11 and 12, which are in the center of this passage. Let's work out and look at verses 10 and 13, which are very closely linked. Verses 10 and 13 are talking about secrets of the heart. In verse 10, we see that each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. So there's bitterness and joy in the heart, like each heart is fully aware and fully understands its own bitterness and its own joy. And it, it's unique to each individual. Verse 13 kind of establishes a similar concept. Even laughter, even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. There are these, these dichotomies, these things that don't seem to go together, these paradoxes that don't seem to fit. And yet we know if we think about it, if we really consider for a moment... That there are secrets of our hearts, there are secrets of our interior emotions that are hard to articulate to someone else, that are hard to understand. Even in the people that we love, we can't understand why they think the way they think or they feel the way they feel at a certain point. Because we are wondrously complex humans. We have experiences, we have various traumas, we have various delights, we have all kinds of things going on in us and it's hard to explain. And so how often do we feel or do we say no one truly understands no one really knows how I feel no one knows what it's like to be me or what it's like to walk through life and how treasured is a friend that really does seem to know that really does seem to understand that you don't have to go through the backstory they just say yeah I get it I understand how you feel I understand what you're saying This is why I'm such a big advocate for a good Christian counselor or therapist, somebody that can help us make sense of our own secrets of our heart, someone that can guide us with carefully worded questions to gain understanding for ourselves and what's going on in our emotional reactions and why we do the things we do and why we feel the things we feel and why we say the things we say. I think they're absolutely invaluable and, and as you think about these secrets of the heart, it caused me to ask, why are we so surprised when people don't get it? Why are we so quick to judge others for not understanding the secrets of our hearts? And I think Satan does some of his best work in these spiritual attacks where we, we feel like nobody understands anyway. I'm not even going to try. And we just kind of shut down and we isolate and we move into hopelessness and despair because nobody really knows. And there is one who knows. There is one who who knows us better than we know ourselves. There is one whom we can connect to through prayer that truly does understand. And yes, we want that in the flesh and blood. We want somebody that we can lock eyes with and that can understand us, tell us we're not crazy. But there is one who knows better than anyone. And the degree to which we are known and know that person, that Savior, is the degree to which we can come to terms with and come to grips with the secrets of our hearts and resist the temptation to isolate and we resist the temptation to withdraw or to despair. So that's verses 10 and 13 talking about the secrets of the heart. And then we move out one more pair to verse 9 and verse 14 where it's talking about 
sort of contrasting being making amends for sin or being repaid for sin. You see that the, conque- uh, the consequences of sin are in view in verse 9 and in 14. There's a contrast being made between fools or the faithless and the good or the upright. So the same theme is in view, but with different people. The foolish or the faithless on one hand in verse 9 and 14 are the good and the upright in verse 14. And all of us know someone. Like when we look at verse 9, fools mock at making amends for sin. We all know someone who never apologizes, who never makes amends, or very, very seldom will you hear the words, I'm sorry, it was my fault. What can I do to make it right? We all know people like that. And we don't want to be like that. We all know people that refuse to apologize. And Proverbs doesn't call them the wise (laughs) or the upright. Proverbs calls them the fool or the faithless. So don't be that person. Don't be that one that never apologizes or makes amends. Because we're told that the foolish and the faithless will be repaid. Right? Not by God, but by life. The principle of reaping and sowing is true. And and the more foolish you are in this area of refusing to make amends, refusing to say you're sorry, the more life just sort of repays you for that. And on the flip side, on the other side of that, the upright, the good, they receive goodwill and they receive rewards. They're rewarded by life for saying they're sorry, for making amends. And so there's a contrast there, and, and there are certain outcomes that are most likely for each way. And it can seem like you're getting ahead in life by being the aggressor, by being unwilling to apologize, by being unwilling to bend. It can seem right, but the end therein is death. And there is a way that says, with humility, I'm going to make amends, I'm going to make it right, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to, to make sure as far as it is possible to me to live at peace with all men. That is a way that leads to life. That is a way that follows Christ and his example for us on earth. And there is goodwill for people that are quick to apologize. There is goodwill that exists in the world. Life repays a willingness to apologize when we're in the wrong. And so you see this contrast. And then there's a final one that sort of brackets this whole passage with verse 8 and verse 15. Where the prudent are contrasted with the fools or the simple. Where wisdom is contrasted with folly. And at the heart of this seems to be a difference between deception or gullibility on the part of the foolish or the simple. And giving thought to our ways, to our steps on the part of the wise or the prudent. You see... I love how it's rephrased or kind of reworded that we give thought to our ways. Wisdom is not an event. Wisdom is a way of being. And the wisest people you know are consistently wise. And it took them some time to get there. And it took some reflection. And it took some thoughtfulness. That's what it means to give thought to our ways or to give thought to our steps. It's both looking back at what has been 
to give thought to that, to seek to understand that, to understand what happened, what went wrong, why didn't it go the way that I thought it would, why were the outcomes different than what I was expecting, to give thought not only to what didn't work, but to what did work. Why did that work this time? It didn't seem to work last time. Why did that go the way that it went? To give thought, to try to gain understanding, but also to give thought to the future, to plan ahead, to give thought to the steps we will take, not just the steps we have taken, to give thought to the way we will be, not just the way we have been. And so all of this is in view on these last two Verses that we're considering, and when you take all of that together, you put the whole of that together, and you remember that the very central point is there in verse 11 and 12. We can see that the main message of this whole passage is to avoid a superficial analysis of the lessons of life. Duane Garrett is a Bible commentary. He's the guy that taught me all about a chiasmus and how to understand it and broke it all down. And so he gets a lot of credit for the content here, but I think his main point is absolutely true. For this passage, the message of the whole is to avoid a superficial analysis of the lessons of life. You know what he's saying? This week between Christmas and New Year's, don't just shrug your shoulders and say, huh, 2021's over. Here we go, 2022. wonder what that's going to be like. He's saying, no, don't just give a superficial analysis. Don't just give a knee-jerk reaction. Spend some time. Look back over 2021. Get your calendar out. Maybe you have a Google calendar. You have a paper calendar. And you can see where you were, where you went, what you were doing in January, February, March. You can remember, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Or I remember this. Or I had forgotten that we went there or we did that. That was this year. Are you sure that wasn't last year? How many people have said that? Like, It feels like the last two years, three years, just got thrown into a crock pot together or something. And it's like, no, yeah, that was this year. The point that I believe is being made here is that a superficial analysis can be extremely costly. To just shrug your shoulders and move on. Business as usual can be extremely costly. But it pays. And it pays big. To look a little deeper, to look beneath the surface. So, our bottom line today is that it really does pay to give thought to your ways. Where's Dawson? We needed you on the drums for that one, right? Don't you love it when the bottom line rhymes? Isn't that great? Pastors just jump up and down when you get a bottom line that rhymes. But it really does pay to give thought to your ways. It, that's what the, I'm not saying it. Scripture is telling us it pays to give thought to our ways. Absolutely. It costs very, very little to give thought to our ways. And it pays huge dividends to become the kind of people who regularly give thought to our ways. And to do so in a slow and reflective manner. On the converse, it pays very, very little to just shrug our shoulders and move on. We might save an hour What are you going to do with that hour? And it can cost very, very much to not give thought to our ways. So when you came in, there were some of these Happy New Year. Hope you flipped that over. (laughs) On the front, it kind of introduces, there's an exercise on the back. And there are more of these by the offering plates as you leave. If you didn't get one, they're on the seats throughout. And there's plenty of open seats. You can grab one of these. Um... 
If you're watching online, that's my bad. We didn't get this on screen. I realized that just now. But we'll make it available through our digital bulletin. So sign up for the digital bulletin. We'll send it to you on Friday. But this is just a guided reflection. If you would set aside an hour to prayerfully consider and go through and answer these questions, what has God been teaching me? Like, not what have I just been learning, what conclusions have I been coming to myself, but what has God been teaching me? What has he been teaching me this year about who he is, about myself, about others? Get out a blank piece of paper. This is so important. If you just do this mentally, you're scratching the surface. But if you will write this out, even if you hate writing, it's an exponential return. Because our thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through our hand, through a pen, onto a piece of paper. It's just the way it works. Get a blank page of paper. If you are a Banding Together Journal participant and you notice there's a whole week of weekly review, don't say, oh, good, I don't have to read the Bible. What kind of sense does that make? No, go review your journal, review your thoughts. Take a page of your Banding Together Journal and answer these questions. And make some bullet points. Maybe you need two pages or three pages. What habits do I want to start? Or keep doing. Don't just wake up on January 1st and say, I have a New Year's resolution. (laughs) Spend some time with this. What do I need to start doing again? Maybe there's some really good habits that you got out of pre-COVID or during COVID or during the last year. What habits do I want to break? Maybe there's some bad habits in your life that you really want to break. And some careful reflection will reveal that to you. And you could get a book like Atomic Habits that really goes through step-by-step how to actually break bad habits and establish good habits. And you could have be turning a new page because you gave thought to your ways. You gave thought to your steps. You looked back at what has been and you looked ahead at what you want to be and you put some intention to that. You might ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What's holding me back? And what do I need to be reminded of? What does scripture say about fear? What does God say about the things that I'm afraid of? What do I need to be reminded of? Do I need to be reminded that I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble? Maybe start writing that out. Maybe that's a habit. You write that out every day, and it reminds you of who you are and who's with you and where you are. And maybe this last one, if, for those of you that are a little more action-oriented, you're like, I don't know about all this thoughtful reflection stuff, Mark. I want to do something. Here you go. Where can I make my single greatest contribution in the next 30 days? At home, at work, and personally or spiritually. If you spend an hour with this, that may be the most valuable hour that you have in the next week. So I want to encourage you to do it. I don't think it's possible to oversell the value of something like this. I want to encourage you to do that. And I thought about this on the way up here as well. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we baptized Lori Jones. But the baptistry is full. Our Congolese African Wesleyan Church that meets here, they're going to be celebrating some baptisms after this. But I just feel like it would be remiss not to mention to those of you that are here, and maybe God's been working on your heart. Maybe you've been saying, you know, I've passed on the opportunity to be baptized several times. If you want to be baptized, just come and find me right here during this next song. We'll visit about it. And if it's right, you could be baptized right now. We got clothes you can change into. We got church family here that would love to celebrate that with you. If not, no big deal. If today's not the day, but it's definitely coming, talk to us. We'd love to visit with you about that. We'd love to answer your questions.
but don't leave this place unchanged. And, and I would encourage you to get out your calendar, to get out your phone if that's where your calendar is. You have permission to get that out in church. Open up your calendar app and find an hour that you're going to schedule to spend some time giving thought to your ways. You will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the wisdom that you have made available to us. Thank you for being a perfect example of wise living. We're reminded that Jesus often went off by himself to be alone, to pray. Help us to take advantage of the opportunity that we'll have in these next six or seven days to get up an hour earlier to to stay up an hour later to to carve out a chunk of time in that little lull that we might have where we can give thought to our ways I pray that your spirit will speak to us in those moments and help us to see what could change that would make us more like Jesus what habits we could break or start that would pay huge huge dividends what we could do with our fear and surrendering it to you and walking boldly in, in faith and how we could make a contribution to your kingdom in the days ahead. Lord, speak to us. We want to hear from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.